Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. 1 Samuel 25, 1-17, page 292. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in the house at Ramah. Then David arose... Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David, went, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm. And they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they all waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to the men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every, ma- and every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to degree our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us and we suffered no harm and we did not miss anything when we were in the fields as long as that as we went with them they were a wall to us both by night and by day all the while we were with them keeping the sheep now therefore know this and consider that you should what you should do for harm is determined against our master and against all his house and he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him skip to verses 23 through 33 When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Oh, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please that your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard his worthless fellow, Nabal, for as his name name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from your saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to the Lord be as Nabal. And now, and now let this present that, you, that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who followed my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God. 
In the lives of your enemies, he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good things he has spoken concerning you and has appointed your prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who has kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. First Samuel 25, I'm going to tell you a story. Tom Nelson, he's one of my favorite preachers. He tells a story of a group of American soldiers who had a South Korean cook during the Korean War. And they hadn't been around Asians too uh, too much, and so they played a lot of jokes on this South Korean cook. Like they would nail his shoes to the floor of the barracks. They would short sheet his bed. Y'all know what that that is? Short sheet, Mr. Clyde. You know what short sheet in the bed is? Yeah, that's. Uh, if you don't know what that is, see Mr. Clyde. He'll show you how to do it, probably. <laughs> um, but they pulled all these pranks time and time again. Uh, on this South Korean cook. And, but eventually they began to feel bad. You know, we're, we're kind of taking this thing too far. They had some grief over it. And, and so they apologized. And they said, look, we'll never do this again. We didn't mean harm, but we won't do it again. We, we thank you for being our cook. And it's not going to happen again, ever again. And the South Korean cook looked at them and said, good. From now on, me no spit in soup. <laughs> and so... Um, he who last laugh lasts the loudest, is what they say, right? There's some truth to that, uh, and revenge is, is often, uh, oftentimes called sweet, but it's, you can't call it obedience, right? You can't call revenge obedience. And when we last left David, if you're visiting with us, we're in a series on First and Second Samuel, and, and there's, a, there's a need for a king. There really is. And when we last left David, we were given a glimpse of why the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. If you remember, he was given the opportunity to take revenge against King Saul. He was placed in a position where he could have killed Saul. Saul goes into a cave. He's pursuing David, pursuing David, pursuing David. And it makes no sense because David has done nothing but served Saul faithfully and served the nation of Israel. But Saul, once David killed Goliath and he hears this song the people were singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. There's a seed of jealousy and bitterness that, that grew in Saul. And he began to be paranoid. And he began to take matters in his own hands. He says, I'm going to do away with David. And he several times tried to take his life. And so David is on the run, and he goes into a cave to relieve himself. He's going to the bathroom. And David's men, who Saul has been chasing, hounding, trying to take their lives, says, now's our opportunity. You got him now, buddy. Here he is. He's for the taking. And they wanted David to take his life. Or they wanted to take Saul's life. And you think about it, to save their own. But David wouldn't let them do it. So what he did is he cut off a piece of his robe. And so after David um, escaped the the cave, he showed Saul this piece of his robe and he says, look, look what I've done. I could have taken your life, but I didn't. 
You've not been merciful to me, but I've been merciful to you. And we see David being Christ-like. And look at chapter 24, verse 17 through 20. This is Saul's response to this merciful deed. And Saul said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you for evil. Verse 18 of chapter 24. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put, you in, put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. David was Christ-like, wasn't he? He was very merciful to Saul. But today, we'll see David looking more like, probably like me, and less like Jesus. As we'll see David stumble a little bit. Well, David's been anointed king as a shepherd boy, right? He's tending his father's flocks in the field. He was anointed by Samuel, by God. Samuel was God's prophet. He's going to be king, but we keep trying to answer the question, how does he get from the pasture to the throne? if Saul is still king. Saul, after being rejected by God, begins to pursue this life of David. And now, Saul continues his pursuit. But it's interesting, Saul, he's unable to put his hands on David. Why is that? Why is that? Yeah, because God's on his side, right? God's for him, and he's against Saul. It's God's will for David to be king. And Jonathan knew it. Read this for you in chapter 23, verse 17. Jonathan says this about David. And he said to David, Jonathan did, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. So Jonathan knew it. Saul knew it. And now in verse 1 of chapter 25, David's continued to be on the run. He's left his family in Moab. He's a little lonely. He's got this ragamuffin band of soldiers around him. Was 400. Now it's about 600. But the one person he could go to for comfort in times of need, Samuel the prophet, is dying, verse 1 tells us. And it says that the nation mourned for him. Now think about it. The nation of Israel, they had rejected Samuel. And they had rejected the Lord, but now they realize he was right. They rejected theology for politics. They rejected the Lord. They rejected Samuel, and they get Saul in return. And now they realize they've got the short end of the stick, and it's their fault. The nation was wrong, and they are paying for it. And sometimes you don't know what you got or how good you got it till it's gone. Isn't that true in life? These first three verses were introduced to Nabal. He was rich, but it says he's harsh and badly behaved. Now around here in Tipton County, you might say he's a, he's a bit rough. Rough folks, you might say. He has some rough people over there, right? He was blessed by God. He's very wealthy, but he didn't love God. His name means fool, Psalm 14.1, a very familiar verse for most of us. 
The fool says in his heart, there is no God. That word fool, that's Nabal. That's this guy's name. What his parents were thinking, I don't know, but it's a very prophetic name for him. But his wife Abigail, she's a beautiful woman, not just on the outside, but inwardly as well, as we'll see. It was sheep shearing time, verse 4 through 8. It was sheep shearing time, and when the shearing is done, what happens in that culture, there's a big celebration. Celebration for all the workers and for those nearby who are not very fortunate. This is when the sheep herder makes all his money. And there, between verse 1 and the time Samuel dies and verse 4, there's a, a, a time lapse, and we're not sure how much time, but during that time, David is has his men out near Nabal's shepherds. And they're, what happens because of their presence there is they're protected. If you remember in context, the Philistines are raiding. In fact, at one point, Saul has David cornered about to put his hands on him when news comes from a messenger that the Philistines have raided and he has to leave by God's providence, leave the pursuit of David to go take care of the Philistine raiders. And so... What happens is David's men's around the shepherd, they didn't lose any sheep, and they were protected. They were good to the shepherds. And so what does David do? He sends ten men. Why ten? Why does he send ten men to Nabal? Well, because he was expecting to get something in return for his service. Nabal's response in verse 9 through 11 is quite rude. It says that Nabal is a Calebite, which means he's a descendant of, from the tribe of Judah like David. He's a distant relative, if you will. Fourth or fifth cousin, maybe. And, and he rejects David. He denies him any food. He sends his men and says, hey, we, we're needing some food for my men. Can you spare some? It's feast time. Could we partake in your feast? And Nabal says, no way, Jose." You think, well, if you're refusing a stranger, that's one thing. You didn't know him, but he does know him. He calls him a son of Jesse. He knew exactly who David was. In fact, he, he treats him like a runaway slave. He says, you are breaking away from... He says, who are you? You're, you're breaking away from your master. Well, Abigail, later on, she says she knew David was going to be king, so Nabal most likely did as well. But he treats David like riffraff. He doesn't want to share all the things that he says are his. Mine, mine, it's all mine, he says. You can't have any of it. He reminds us of Saul, be it, doesn't he? You remember how David was good to Saul? He played the lyre, the harp for him, when the harmful spirit was tormenting him. He defeats Goliath for him. He wins victory after victory after victory for Saul and for the nation of Israel. But yet, how did... Saul treat David. The kindness was returned with wickedness, and that's true of Nabal as well. Nabal has benefited from David and his men, but yet he not only refuses David a meal, but he belittles and demeans him. So what's David's response? Look at verse 12 and 13. He responds in anger. And that's kind of interesting, because we see David so far, he's passed all these tests, right? He's going to be king of Israel, and he passed all these tests flying colors. He's the kind of guy we want to be king. Because look at him. He's so merciful and good and gracious. I mean, think about it. Saul is trying to kill him. And yet, he is merciful to Saul. 
And here, Nabal just verbally abuses him, and he goes off the deep end. What we might call getting in the flesh. There's an old proverb, it's not biblical. It says, who flies off the handle always makes a bad landing. And we see David flying off the handle. If Nabal will return evil for good, David thinks now he's justified in returning evil for evil. And what's he do? What's it say? Look at verse 12. Verse 13. Well, how did David respond? Every man strapped on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. That's Hebrew for lock and load. Right? Here we go. Let's go. And so he takes 400 men. I mean, he's going to Nabal and his shears, and he has a lot of people working for him, but he didn't have soldiers, and he didn't have 400. But David says, 200, 200 of you, stay and watch our stuff. 400 of you, let's go. Right? And so that's where he's heading. Look at verse 21. This is moving ahead a bit. Verse 21 through 22. And now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all this that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. So he, had, he was out for blood. He's out to get Nabal and everybody that belongs to his house. Now, I'm only going to hurt you. I'm going I'm to hurt everybody around you. Well, there was one of Nabal's servants who had a little bit of sense. He knew how much David and his men had benefited Nabal and how offensive Nabal's response is going to be to David. And so he tells Abigail, verse 18 and 19, and Abigail understands this, the seriousness of the situation. And so she goes ahead not telling Nabal what's going on. She takes gifts to him to apologize, right? She wants to make things right. She hopes she can change his mind, and she does in verse 23 through 31. She apologizes for her husband's rudeness. She gives this prophetic apology, right? She recognizes the providence of God in keeping David from killing Nabal. She recognized God was on his side. She put forward the certainty of David's future kingdom and his secure dynasty as the basis on which David shouldn't. Take matters into his own hands, right? Look at verse 30 and 31. She's very, she's very wise, isn't she? And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that has, he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation himself. In other words, don't take matters in your own hands, David. When you become king... You won't have this blood on your hands. You won't have all this guilt. And when the Lord has dealt with my, well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And what does David say? How does he respond to her rebuke? Look at verse 32. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. In other words, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Abigail, you saved me from doing something stupid. Praise the Lord for that. We've done that ourselves, haven't we? Thank you, Lord. I'm glad, you, I'm glad I didn't do what I wanted to do. 
There'd be repercussions from that, wouldn't it? And David, too, acknowledges God's providence. Look at verse 34. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her what she brought, the food and the, the gifts. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. So it worked. I mean, he goes from this bloodletting rage to thankfulness for God for his providential care and for Abigail being wise enough to rebuke him. Well, the story continues. Abigail goes to home and her husband Nabal, the reason he didn't want to share his a meal, share his food, is because he was having a big feast himself. And by the time she gets there, he's snockered, he's drunk. So she doesn't bother him that night. She waits till the next day and she tells him what happened. And the, the thought, I can just imagine the thought of, of Nabal hearing this story. The man who killed the nine foot, nine inch giant, he along with 400 of his bad boys, they were coming to take your life and everybody's lives here. Too much for Nabal to handle. Somehow he stroked out. Something happened. And ten days later... The Lord took his life. Divine retribution. David didn't have to lay a hand on him. He didn't lay a hand on Saul. He didn't have to lay a hand on Nabal. And David was innocent because of Abigail's gentle rebuke. Well, according to the text, let's, three things here. According to the text, God is, what does it teach us about God? God is, well, first of all, he's providentially bringing about his will, isn't he? David's going to be king. And he uses Abigail to stop David from ruining his reputation, right, and taking innocent lives. He's sovereign, isn't he? Directing the affairs of man. And he's also just. Because what happened to Nabal? Yeah, the Lord took his life. Nabal, this self-absorbed man, is struck down because of his sin and because of his treatment of God's anointed. Yeah, that's who God is. Second thing is we see in this text is a timely rebuke is like a gold ring or ornament of gold. That's Proverbs 25, 11 through 12. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Giving a rebuke is often needed, isn't it? Yeah, I've done that this week several times. I've had those, several of those awkward conversations, right? Yeah, you do that at home. Now, at home it's not quite as awkward, is it, because your own children... It gets awkward when, it has to, when it's a spouse, right? That gets a little more, and then somebody in your community, maybe your extended family in your church, gets a little awkward, right? You have to point out sin. Or, or maybe you've been on the receiving end this week. Maybe so, but it's needed, isn't it? But if we're going to give a rebuke, we have to be careful how we do it. I mean, sometimes it's just a look, right? Like sometimes I'm preaching, and you've got a kid that's, 
playing and being silly, a little bit out of hand, you know, not causing too much of a ruckus, but it's distracting me. It's what I do. I'm preaching, and I just keep staring at them. And they look up, and what do they do? They straighten up, right? If they don't straighten up, then I ask someone else to come over and tend to it, right? But that's, sometimes that's all that's needed, Blake. I just a look, right? And usually with Seth, that's all that's needed. I just give him a look, and he gets back in the line, right? Sometimes that's all that's needed. But sometimes there's a firm word is needed, right? Like the one David gave to Saul. And if you haven't, listen to me, if you're visiting with us and, or, or you're kind of in and out, in and out, this book, these two books, First and Second Samuel, and originally they were one book. It's great reading. It's awesome. And what makes it better is it's true and it's part of redemptive history. It's very good. If you have kids, read it. If you have boys, read it regularly because it's awesome. But we see David rebuking Saul, holding up part of his robe. Hey, Saul, you're treating me badly, man. And look, I could have took your life. And what happened? It had its effect. Saul says, you're better than me. Matter of fact, you're fit to be king, and I'm not. And I know you're going to be king. Yeah. Sometimes we need a firm word. Now, the timing is real important, right? You don't want to give a firm word to your spouse when you're already in a spat, when things aren't real going real well. And you know when they're not going well, right? You don't want to do it at the wrong time. Oh, by the way, no, don't, do, when, don't ever say, oh, by the way. When you say, oh, by the way, Lord, give grace. Just shut up, right? Tommy's report, but sometimes there's need to be a firm word. Hey, you were wrong. You don't see it, but you're wrong. The Scripture says, and you need to repent. And then you just let it go. And let the Lord do His thing. Sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes I need that. Sometimes Jenny has to be real direct. We don't like it. We don't like to be told we're wrong. We want to be told we're right. But sometimes we're wrong, so we need to be told we're wrong. Yeah, there's a, it's a skill we have to learn. Especially if you're, if you're married, how do you rebuke your spouse in love where it'll be received? That's well, tricky, isn't it? But sometimes, sometimes a rebuke can just be a look. Sometimes it has to be a firm word. Sometimes it's just more, a, a more subtle approach is needed, Right? Like this week, I had, a, I had a man in my life that I loved dearly and loves the Lord, and man, he loves the Lord, but he was just in this funky mood, just kind of in the flesh and irritated and da-da-da-da-da. So I'm like, okay, I've got to rebuke this brother, so how do I do that? Well, you pray, Lord, give me grace and give me a good time. and You just drop it on them as sweet as you can and then let it go. Don't try to talk through it and get them to say, yeah, you're right, you're right. Just drop it on them and let it, let it, let it sit for a little bit. And what's the Spirit of God do? Because what do, what do believers do? I mean, believers pray, right? We draw near the Lord, right? So eventually he's going to draw near the Lord, and what's the Lord going to do? Yeah, show it to him. Sometimes he puts them in a full Nelson, right? But he shows it to them, and then they, you know, you're right. Appreciate that, brother. I needed that. I'm in a better place now. Did you make that right with so-and-so? Yeah, I did. That's good. Yeah, now I'm better. Sometimes we have to be 
wise, right? Abigail is a wise reprover. Reprover. She knows how to do it. And even in her rebuke, in verse 23 through 31, this is what she says. She says, use the word servant six times. She calls David Lord 14 times. She's trying to, get a, she's trying to gain a hearing. So what is she doing? Tell them, submitting herself, she's being humble. She admits that David and his men have suffered wrong at the hand of Nabal. She admits her husband's a fool. She asks forgiveness and pleads with David to accept her gift and spare Nabal, and he does. It's real interesting, though. She says, you know, if you kill Nabal, you're going to be king, and if you kill Nabal in your anger, it's going to hang over you like a dark cloud. She appeals to his spiritual side, and he, he, he takes it. It has its effect. She is wise, isn't she? She's humble and gracious. Yeah. A timely rebuke is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold. Yeah, it's needed. We need to do that. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've rebuked another brother and sister in Christ? Or maybe not beside your spouse. Because some of you do that continually a lot. Maybe you need to ease up on that a little bit. You become a nag, right? Um, yeah, what's the difference between someone who's given a kind reproof and someone who's a nag. I'm not real sure exactly, but... Um, yeah, when's the last time you've rebuked a brother in love? I mean, really, like, you really have a desire to see them repent and see their sin and make that right. We should be doing that. When's the last time you've received that and it been done rightly? We should do that as a church family. We should be doing that often. Not as, you know, the, do it in grace, but because we, 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 we get out of line a lot, don't we? I mean, we really do. And sometimes if, and sometimes somebody, just for instance, Reagan, she's been interned here, sometimes a, 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 a reproof or rebuke isn't something that you're, you've done. Maybe it's just something that you haven't done or you need to do, you know? But we need it. All of us do. I mean, most, you know, say we're good people. But we need that. Come on. Let's get back in line. Come on. Let's, let's submit ourselves to the Lord. Let's, let's do what the Lord wants us to do. Yeah. So we see who God is. We see this timely rebuke is like a gold ring. And thirdly, a wise man, what does he do? He receives the rebuke, right, from a righteous man or woman. I mean, David, at this point in time, he's gotten in the flesh. He's overreacted, he's being irrational, he's being unjust. If he continues in his plan to wipe out Nabal and all the men that belongs to him, he would have been just like Saul. He would have been just like Saul, right? That's what Saul, Saul what did Saul had just done? Because Ahimelech, the high priest, had helped David, what did he do? What did he, do? he not only killed Ahimelech and all his family, but he went and, and, and killed everybody in the whole the town he was from. That's what Saul did. Well, David was fixing to do something like Saul, right? But he receives the rebuke and he says, you're right, Abigail. I don't need to do this. This is unjust. I lost my head. I lost my cool. He responds rightly to a rebuke. Yeah, Romans chapter 12 tells us how we to treat someone who treats us badly, right? 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. That's what David was trying to do, right? But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Yeah, he just needed to leave that in the hands of God. Well, application, what do we do with this text? I think there's three main characters here. Let's look at each of these characters real quickly. David, he overreacted, right? You ever do that? You ever do that? Tell your kids. You'll never leave this house as long as you live. Right? You overreact? How many of you overreact? I overreacted this week several times. Yeah, I do it often. But David did, and that's not what we should do. We get in the flesh, right? It's terrible. But David also, he, he found that the Lord had judged the matter between he and Nabal, right? He had been vindicated, and he didn't have to lift his hand. He was innocent, and he was vindicated because God, he does that, doesn't he? He's just. So what do we do? We walk in obedience, and we watch God bring about his plans in our lives. Because sometimes we want to take matters in our own hands to ensure that God, God's purposes for our lives come about. We don't have to do that. David didn't have to do that. We don't either. And we see also that David was, he accepted her counsel, right? He's getting in the flesh. He took her counsel. Look at a couple of the Proverbs, or one proverb, Proverbs 13, 18. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. And we need to listen to uh, someone who's trying to set us straight. Psalm 141, verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me, it is a kindness. Strike me meaning rebuke me, right? Point out my fault. It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. You know, and if, if that's not you, if you're saying, I really haven't put myself in a position to, to be rebuked, you know, because I really don't like that. Well, no one likes it, but we need it. And it's not just that we should suffer, right? Someone speaking in our lives, but we need to invite people to do so because we're so prone to wonder. I mean, really, if we're really honest, we're so, our hearts are so unlike Christ. We need this help. People, people that love us pointing us in the right direction, rebuking us. And some people, that's why some people, they don't get involved in church because like, eh, I don't really know that I want that in my life. And what church is, it's not coming... Sunday morning, 10.30, that's not church. Don't misunderstand. That's not when we read the Bible. That's not the, the, what we see. That's not how we describe church. It's a part of church. But church is arm in arm, hand in hand, living life together, walking. So we need to be here Sunday morning to sing true songs. Man, these songs are great. I'm going to sing some of these songs all week because we sang them today. And we need to hear the preaching of the Word. But we have to be involved in people's lives because that's when people can point those things out to us. When they know us, they know what's going on, they can correct us. We need that. You need it, I need it, right? That's what we say. That's why we come here. We don't come here because we got it all figured out and, and we got it together. No, we come here because we don't. I'm at church today because I don't have it together. I'm at church today because I'm not good. 
but I want to be. Right? That's why we're here. Yeah. And, and the thing about it is, if someone is willing to have this awkward conversation with you, that points out sin, danger in your life. Hey, I see this. It's kind of a scary place to be. You know, that's the scriptures say, and this is what you need to do. If someone ha- is willing to have that awkward conversation with you, and it is awkward, listen. Right? Be thankful. The person loves you. Right? Yeah. Let's look at Abigail real quickly. Um, I-, I think just be willing to give a word of rebuke when needed, but we have to do it right wisely. Sometimes we'd be real forthright. Presley, you're wrong. You need, to, you need to repent. That's Sometimes we need that. Sometimes we need to be real subtle and gentle, and, and sometimes we just need to choose the right time, right? Galatians 6.1, we know this verse. It's common to us. It's something we all, many of us have memorized. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of what? Gentleness. Yeah, we have to be gentle, right? This is the thing, this kind of rule of thumb, application for application. Never give someone a rebuke, a word of reproof, if you're not uncomfortable doing it. If you're not just a little bit uncomfortable, you got like a little kind of this like nauseous thing going on, then don't do it. Because you're not in the right frame of mind. Your heart's not right. If you're really looking forward to rebuking somebody, probably not a good time, right? That's not, probably not going to be beneficial. Right? Rebuke somebody when, you, when you're sick at your stomach about it. Ugh. Yeah, that's when you need to do it. Because you'll do it gently and you're doing it out of love. And, and third, Nabal. Nabal's a rough man, isn't he? He's harsh and badly behaved, the Bible says. He's selfish. He thought only of himself. He's blessed beyond measure. God has given him all these things. Why do we say when we say someone's blessed, why do we say God has given it to them? Is that biblical? Yeah. Yeah, James 1.17. Every good gift comes from the Lord. Well, I mean, you don't know how hard I work. Well, the Lord does, and the Lord's blessed you and given you a lot of money. Praise Him for it, right? The biggest problem with Nabal is he's rejected the Lord's anointed. And because of that, verse 28, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Verse 39, David said, The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. We're kind of like Nabal. We all are to some degree, aren't we? We're all self-absorbed. We've all been blessed by God. Think about the blessings He's given us. We're not as thankful as we should be, right? But Nabal's biggest problem is the way he's treated the Lord's anointed. See, and where we are in redemptive history, David is the Lord's anointed. But we know that he's going to fall short. But his, one of his great-grandsons, though, the God of heaven is going to come and take on flesh and be given the name Jesus. He's going to walk this earth and he's going to live completely according to God's will. Never sin, never waver. Do everything the Father wants him to do. And then he's going to give up his life willingly and die on a cross. And by doing so, he's going to pay the sin debt for sinners. He's going to be buried on the third day. He's going to rise from the dead. 
And the Bible says he does that for our justification. Nabal's biggest problem is he rejected God's anointed. We, on the backside of the cross, we have to decide, are we going to reject God's anointed or are we going to embrace the Messiah? Are we going to embrace Christ? So the question for us, lastly, by way of application, is have, have you embraced the Christ or are you like Nabal and you're rejecting him? You say, well, how do you know if you're embracing Jesus or not? Well, have you repented of your sin? Have you turned from your life of sin? And are, right now, are you trusting Christ's work on the cross as your own? You say, well, I'm not real sure. I'm not real sure. Yeah, maybe I've done that. Well, I'll ask you a question. If you stood before the Lord right now and, and God said, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? There's a lot of wrong answers to that question. What would you say? Would you say, well, I'm pretty good people. I haven't done this, 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 or this. That those, all of those answers are wrong. Failed that test, right? But we, we should probably answer that question saying, well, you shouldn't, Lord, because I'm not... I'm not worthy of heaven because I'm so sinful and rebellious. But Lord Jesus, 2,000 years ago, He died on a cross and I know that He died for me. And I know that He rose from the dead so I could be justified. I shouldn't get to go to heaven, but Jesus has paid my sin debt. And I'm trusting, right now I'm trusting in that. Because of that, the Bible says I'll live with Him forever. Not because I'm good, but because Jesus was good. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got some examples here, right? David and Abigail and Nabal. So kind of things, ways we can apply this. Let's come on up, praise team. We're a little behind. Let's come on up real quickly. If y'all come up quickly, we can sing. But if you don't, we won't be able to. So hustle. Y'all can run. That's good. Kids can't run. Adults can. Let's sing this song. And we're going to sing this song, this Reformation song. And then when we're finished, we're just going to, when the song's done, you go get your children that are in children's church, and we'll be dismissed. But grace to you. If you have any questions about anything we've talked today, I would love to talk to you about it. Stand up and let's sing this last song together. We'll be dismissed. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.